The reading today is from Samuel chapter 16, 1 through 3 and 6 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I named to you. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely his anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, again, you remind us that it is your ways that you are looking for, and we should see. Thank you for redirecting us when we aren't doing it quite right. Your holy and faithful presence leads and guides us, and we look to you. Amen. Thank you, Edie. Great reading of the scripture. The scene of Samuel before seven brawny sons, and then the runt of the litter. When he arrives, my guess is, though scripture doesn't say so, the first thought in Samuel's head, if it wasn't out of his mouth and therefore not recorded in scripture, was him? Are you kidding me? I imagine Samuel pulled a face. He was a holy man, but he also had certain standards, and that runt, the shepherd, was not among the standards. But then the Lord spoke. The penny drops. 
Samuel says, oh, now I see. Samuel needed a moment, as even prophets do, to switch from the human expectations, the human perception, and go to God's evaluation, God's perspective, which is not always on the straight and narrow of our perceptions. Now, Samuel's mother, Hannah, also experienced a rejection from high priest Eli because Eli, the high priest, could not see. He could not see that Hannah in the temple was crying before the Lord. She was praying before the Lord for a son whom she would call Samuel. Eli looked at her and thought she was drunk and told her so, told her to get out of the temple. She said, I am not drunk, high priest. I am praying from a woman's broken heart. Oh, now I see, said Eli, and then blessed Hannah after jumping to the wrong conclusion. Eli, high priest, had a second, oh, I see moment when the very son that Hannah was praying for had been given back to Eli and the temple and was being reared in the temple, young Samuel. On the evening that God called young Samuel into prophetic service, this was his second, now I see. Because Eli, as the anointed high priest, had eyes that were dim. So the story tells us in 1 Samuel 3, not only were the, the, his physical eyes dim, but also his perception of God had become dim. On this night, Eli's sleeping, Samuel's sleeping, and Samuel, let's say he's seven or eight, or nine or ten, whatever, Samuel, a young lad, hears his name, Samuel. So he wakes up. Oh, somebody's called my name. Must be Eli. Gets up, walks to high priest Eli and says, here I am. It was a practical decision. Who else would be calling his name but the one he serves, the high priest? The scene plays out two more times, a total of three times, when Eli responds to young Samuel, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Until it dawns on Eli, I'm not the one calling Samuel. This lad hears somebody, there's nobody else who's calling him. Oh, I see. And he tells young Samuel, okay, now go back to your room, and the next time you hear your name, I want you to say this. Here I am, Lord. See what happens. Now you have been saying, here I am, Lord, like Samuel said in recognition of God all through Lent. It is a time of saying, now I see. Oh, you are the one calling. And it is to you I will come and follow. Now, in our text that Edie just read, Samuel is the well-known and seasoned prophet of God, and he stands before a father, Jesse, with his fine-looking sons. 
Samuel knows that one of these guys is going to be the next king of Israel. There's a protocol that Samuel as a prophet follows. The oldest usually gets the call. That's the way it is supposed to be. The ancient historian who wrote this chapter in this portion of Samuel draws out this call process. Son one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Are there any more sons out there? The historian draws this out intentionally to show us our perspectives and the way it's supposed to be and how God brings changes. Nope, not going to do it the way you think it's supposed to be done. I called the least likely in your eyes who is the best person in my eyes. Perhaps the story is drawn out to give us the example that just because we think it's supposed to go this way doesn't mean it's not going to go that way. You are working with the God of the universe who loves to bring surprises, and we practice according to what we think is right, but are, we are always open to change. This change is the young shepherd. Let's just the youngest, let's call him the runt of the litter. And there have been other runts who have gotten all of the attention in Scripture. It wasn't societal. The runts, the last born, was generally not society's most important person. But God does not look at the outer appearances. What might appease somebody else's eyes, God looks at the heart. Oh, says Samuel, okay, I see it. Now, in this passage, there are six references to seeing, looking, perceiving, recognizing, eyes open, not just to our ways, but to God's ways. And in the recent edition of the Christian Century magazine, Lynn Joust writes about this passage, saying, the problem is seeing the way God sees. The Lord tells Samuel not to gaze, a different Hebrew word is used here than seeing, on appearance or height. The Lord analyzes the vision's problem. Humans only see appearances, but God sees the heart, the metaphorical location in Hebrew of the inner person, one's character, thought process, memory, and decision-making. And of course, faithfulness to God. We don't hear David's name mentioned until the anointing. We do not see this youngest until his name is used. And the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon, who are we talking about? David. As the Spirit came upon David, now we see. The story is to help us remember, possibly cause us to believe that God might use you and me in a mighty or small way. And I would take out the might 
and say, God does use you. And what a marvelous time to look for it. Then at the end of each day, as you ask yourself, how have you used me today that I didn't even notice? May I see you today in the work of my life. The why David, it'll play out in the first half of his life, and the why not David plays out in the second half of his life. But perhaps this is the same shepherd boy who gave us the wonderful psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I have everything I need because I know that I will be restored by the goodness and mercy of God. Now that makes great king material. Can we switch to the next image? Thank you. Now I want to move to the gospel lesson for today, which comes from John 9, and I wasn't going to have you listened to not only 16 verses in Samuel, but then 40 verses in John chapter 9. So if you just let me relay the story to you, you will remember it well. This is the same theme for all of today's scripture lessons, including the epistle. Seen. Seen in scripture means awareness, recognition. Oh, that's God. And it's okay to be surprised to either see it coming or to look behind you and realize, oh, that was God. Seen is the theme. So there's a story. Jesus is walking along. And as last week, Jesus walked along intentionally to Samaria and sat with the woman at the well who was seen by her and then ran and told the villagers she was not seen intentionally. You guys have got to come and see this man because I think he's the Messiah. Seen is the point. So it's a Sabbath day. Jesus is walking along and there's a man who had been born blind with all of the frailty that blindness brings in first century without the amazing social services we have now. He calls out. Jesus heals him. Then in the chapter, there's this discourse by the religious leaders of the time over whether this should have happened, not a matter of mercy, but a matter of seeing. See, we see the law that you're not allowed to do this seeing thing on the Sabbath, and Jesus is saying, the man cannot see, I jolly well can do this. And in the whole 40 verses of John chapter 9, the contrast between who sees, who is the blind man, and who does not see religious leaders like me is huge and the point. The person holding faith, when he can then see, is the blind man. The religious leaders argue back through the whole chapter, and I wanted to, to do it, but it's, you should just read it. 
So the religious leaders argue with Jesus, then they argue with the man, then they argue with the man's parents who send him back to them back to the man who says, oh my goodness, you're asking me this so many times. Clearly you too want to be a follower of Jesus. Why don't you just go talk to him? And they are, no, we don't want to do this. And then Jesus and the man meet up in the end and we don't know his name. But we do know one thing, he sees. So the story begins with someone pointing the man out, not for an act of mercy, but for a theological discussion. Who has sinned, this guy or his parents? Theological discussion. Jesus frowns at the entire idea that this person is a theological discussion. He does not engage with pointing the finger and the theoretical. He looks right at this human being, looks to his disciples and says, look, I'm the light of the world. And what do we need to be able to see? Light. Then Jesus rolls up his sleeves, pushes them up. And instead of just pronouncing a healing, he bends over, he scoops up some of the dusty dirt from the ground and Instead of tapping into a bit of water, he uses his own physicality. He spits into his hand. He stirs the dirt it, with the spittle. It becomes mud. He smears this physicality onto the blind man's eyes and says, you guys help him get to the pool of Siloam. The man does. He's not going to argue with this, spittle or no spittle, mud or no mud. He they rinses the mud off, and he can see. It is a physical offering of Jesus, which, of course, is what Jesus offers us, this physicality of Jesus to us. Jan Richardson painted mysteries of mud. I don't like mud on my floor. My dog comes in, there's mud. I walk in from a good long walk, there's mud. I don't like mud. But look what Jesus can do. Look what God can do with mud. Which is why I love Jan's picture. She has the gold in there, the white in there, the grays in there, the elements of holy, the elements of earthly, and the elements of miracle, all right there. She isn't just an artist, she's also a commentator. She writes in the painted prayer book and her commentary on this, this um, gospel lesson in chapter nine of John. Jesus is no sterile savior. He is not interested in remaining tidy and removed. With a beautiful and earthy economy of gestures, Jesus reveals himself as one willing to fully inhabit our messiness and the messiness of our world and our lives. He is ready, Jan writes, to enter into our muck with us. He engages the muck as a place where holiness happens the gold in her painting, where sludge becomes sacramental. And through grimy eyes, we begin to behold the face of love beholding us right back. The mysteries of mud. When that man's eyes were opened, he might have first seen the pool, but who did he turn around to find? 
It was him. During Lent, the images, the physicality of ash, wilderness, waters of birth and rebirth, well springs, mud and dirt. These are images that have accompanied us through Lent and remind us of the elemental aspects of Jesus in us, touching us, and what it is that we do with life. The story ends with the man healed after conversation with the Pharisees, after examination on whether his healing was right and just. And then he meets up with Jesus in the end. It's not about facts. Jesus simply said, you've heard them and you've heard me and you see. Do you believe? And the guy was, yes, clearly. And I will conclude with the SALT Project, the progressive Christian blog, which writes, what's really going on here is that Jesus is recruiting a new apostle from the ranks of the excluded, disinherited, overturning the conventional hierarchies of the day. His disciples do not see it, to which I would add, yet, as their initial questions reveal they regard the man not as a potential colleague. After all, they are the 12 and they don't need anybody else in their ranks, but rather as a pulper suffering sin's consequence. Is this the problem of their, his father, his mother, his grandmother? The religious authorities did not see any value in this man other than an argument over Sabbath. Bogged down on both sides, the disciples and we religious leaders. Did Jesus violate the Sabbath by healing? Spiritual blindness is actually something we do a lot. But it, and it is by God's mercy that our short-sightedness does not interfere or interrupt the workings of our marvelous God. We all want our stuff to be healed, cleaned up, preferably without much mud. But remember, and see what God can do with the mysteries of mud in the Creator's hand. Amen.